welcome to Back in Control Radio with Dr. David Hanscom. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Back in Control Radio with Dr. David Hanscom. I'm your host, Tom Masters, and our guest today is Dr. David Clausen. He's a physiatrist based in Seattle with a background in neurologic, cancer, spine, and sports rehabilitation, as well as pain management. Welcome. Thank you, Tom. DR, welcome to the show. Um, DR is a good friend of mine. We, he's a physiatrist in Seattle, and we've been working together off and on for like 30-some years. It's a long time. It goes by very quickly. And the last uh, probably, what, three or four years now, DR, um, we've been collaborating a lot on this whole well, basically, he, when I left Seattle, why he sort of stepped into my practice, and he left Swedish, and my nurse used to work for both of us. And so he has a lot, we have a lot in common as far as how we approach pain. He has a wonderful physiatry background and um, really thoughtful, meticulous. And then we've worked, learn, worked together to teach each other about chronic pain. But what we're talking about today is the long hauler syndrome. You might ask, well, what does long hauler syndrome have to do with chronic pain? The answer is everything. It's actually the same disease. So DR has been remarkable putting together really basic sciences with clinical care and pulling lots of pieces together that most of us have not pulled together. So he wrote a paper on long hauler syndrome that really pulls a lot of concepts together out of the basic science research. And really, we have a lot of answers for the COVID pandemic right under our noses based on current data. But it does turn out that the basic approach to a complex disease like chronic pain is the same approach as to a complex process like long haulers. So I'm challenging DR to keep it at least at our level that we can understand. I mean, tends to go off into space pretty quickly, so we're going to try to keep him reined in. But he's got a remarkable foundation of knowledge about the long collar syndrome. So, DR, I'll give you a give an overview of the, uh, the long collar syndrome from your perspective. Yeah, I'll just kind of segue on to to the chronic pain issue. It's you know we've come to understand chronic pain as um, you know as a as a symptom of uh, something bigger and and as we you know drill down into uh you know what what uh under underlies chronic pain we really discovered that it's sort of our our accumulation of of threat uh and we call it a threat load uh but that is you know uh, occurred over a lifetime that activates you know not just the brain although pain is perceived in the brain. It's not until it gets to consciousness that we perceive, uh, you know, a painful sensation. But underneath all of that is this um, system-wide physiology that's going on that's really dictated by all the, all the threats that uh, are, are out there. Um, and, and we'll get into, you know, what the threat load is uh, a little bit later. But um, so, you know, with that model in mind, as we were, you know, working, working through that years ago, um, COVID erupted. And as we started pulling on the threads of who was, you know, dying and suffering the most with COVID, uh, we realized that, you know, it was the same uh, people who had, uh, you know, the comorbidities that go along with chronic pain. And, you know, we keep saying over and over again, oh my God, it's the same soup. So um, I think that's the kind of the premise of this, essentially a theory that we have of, of, you know, call it threat versus safety theory, 
that uh, when our threat load is very high, and, uh, in, and in the case of uh, COVID, the, the virus is the significant threat, but there's the rest of the threat load that engages in a COVID infection as well, um, that, uh, that that really determines, our threat load ends up determining whether we're you know, ill or diseased. And, and, and as we move to safety, that may be moving away uh, from the virus or killing off the virus, but there's many other factors in, in the world that make us feel safe. But as we move towards safety, we start to feel well and we become healthy. So that's- Can you, can you mention there just briefly some of the risk factors for, um, for bad outcomes for COVID? I mean, what are the risk factors, the comorbidities, as you say? Yeah, the, the, the number one comorbidity that we're, I think we were first impressed with was, you know, obesity and, and uh, uh, type 2 diabetes. Um, and, uh, you know, but uh, people who in general have ill health are at a higher risk for worse outcomes from COVID. But the other thing that we saw that is really fascinating is, uh, you know, is the, the spiritual and social sort of uh, parameters or comorbidities that put people at risk for a bad outcome uh, from, uh, from a COVID infection. So, you know, people who, um, who have a significant amount of uh, uh, social stress or, uh, you know, kind of dis dysfunction, we, we, you know, pretty well known now that, you know, our, our black and brown brothers and sisters are faring less well uh, in the United States when they get a COVID infection, and we know that they suffer from more, um, you know, d disenfranchisement and, and discrimination and injustice and poverty. And those, uh, those kinds of social parameters uh, um, play a direct part in our, uh, in our underpinning physiology. Those are, when, when we have those things in our lives, those are threats too. So they, they aren't in the form of, you know, a, uh, an organic kind of pathogen, but they're, they have the same effects on our physiology. Our body reacts very similarly to emotional, um, you know, trauma or injury and social trauma or injury or spiritual trauma and injury. It reacts very, very similarly to those types of uh, insults as it does to a pathogen invading our body or a tiger biting us. Um, we have, you know, the, the threat response system it is not that diversified. It doesn't have a strategy for every threat that comes along. You know, it, it has some, a, a lot of overlap. In fact, you know, 90 plus percent of uh, the threat response is going to be the same whether we, you know, get infected with a virus or, or somebody insults us or demeans us, uh, we react very similarly from a, from a biological or a physiological standpoint. So, so what, we, what we've seen is that you've all heard of this thing called cytokines, which are these very small proteins that communicate between cells. I think most of you have heard about the cytokine storm. <clears throat> and Dear, what you're seeing is that under threat, um, physical threat, emotional threat, societal threat, that this inflammatory process is part of the threat response. So those markers are already elevated. So when you get sick, if you have a low threat load, low cytokines, the chance of having a bad outcome is much lower because your cytokines are already low. And we don't even know if there's a cytokine storm. 
it could be that you start with elevated cytokines in the first place. And then when you hit that threshold that causes death, of course, that's a big problem. So you and I put together a paper along with a few other people on plan A, where we say, look, every, essentially almost every person that dies from COVID has risk factors, right? Some risk factor. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I think if, if we, um, and you, you and I read a ton of articles, you know, uh, on, on acute COVID and post-COVID syndrome as well. Um, and uh, only uh, very few of them really talk about the social determinants. Um, and uh, so it, it's hard to get a, a good grasp of that. But, but one of the things that I, I don't think we do very well um, any longer or we're worse at, it. I'm not sure we did a great job of it ever, but we're certainly worse at it in this day and age is, you know, in our, our history and uh, examination, taking a really good uh, family history because generational trauma is real. We are, we're encoded epigenetically to be more reactive to threats based on generational trauma. So think about that in terms of an Afro, Afro-American uh, uh, male with 400 years of generational trauma. Um, and, then, and, then, and then the things that happen to us uh, in our life, you know, when we're, we're uh, children or adolescents, sort of the adverse childhood events, create uh, predictive codes and epigenetic coding that gets carried forward in our, in our trauma history and our threat load. Um, and so, you know, we, we, we have all of these things that were, you know, accord, uh, incorporated into the original thing we used to call it an H&P, where we would take that family history and we would take that social history and pretty much in medicine, that is glossed over. It, 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 you know, you, you, you check a couple boxes for your, your billing purposes to satisfy the insurance company, but nobody's really digging in to understand how much threat people are under. So we don't have a really great sense of the people who are crashing and burning from a COVID infection or going on to post-COVID syndrome because we're not really attending to that information. What we attend to is the medical comorbidities. But, you know, uh, 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 based on our threat versus safety theory and based on the biology and physiology, we have a pretty good argument that obesity is a threat-related disease. Hyperglycemia is clearly a threat-related disease because the cytokines are the things that cause insulin resistance. So type 2 diabetes is a threat-related disease. And then heart disease, you know, is a little bit easier to understand is a threat-related disease, but it goes on and on and on for these chronic illnesses into the neurodegenerative diseases, and even cancer is uh, is is of a similar you know physiology. So um, you know anyway to to kind of pull that all together, um, it 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 is this uh, cumulative threat load that that then determines how severe a course. Uh, of the disease we're going to have more, more than those comorbidities. Those comorbidities are also a reflection of the threat load. So what we really have to start doing is going, you know, get away from making all of these various diagnoses. When we start seeing this pattern of threat-related diseases, instead of putting, you know, a hundred fingers in the dike kind of thing, you know, we, we, need, we need to dig down to the root of it and figure out what all of those, uh, you know, what all of those determinants are, what all of the threats are in somebody's life and how they've accumulated over time. Well, let, let me jump to the post-COVID syndrome for a second. And I'm going to say something pretty simplistic, which you may or may not agree with. 
So the problem with post-COVID syndrome is that you have your your pre-illness morbidities, which involve elevated inflammatory markers. In other words, your cytokines are elevated, your body's full of inflammation, you get acute COVID, and if you survive it with comorbidities, you have the elevated cytokines you had before causing chronic disease. Then let's say you survive the disease, maybe barely, maybe not, maybe did pretty well. But then afterwards, you have tissue damage from the disease. So you have the additional tissue trauma. Then you have ongoing inflammation from the prior trauma that you had before COVID. So your comment is that long hauler syndrome or post-COVID syndrome is persistence of ongoing threat. Is that a fair statement? I think that, yeah, that is a fair statement. And, and, and so people come into it with, you know, with, with their threat load, which is reflected in, you know, in our physiology, we track the threat cytokines because they, they help to pull the picture together, but it's our total threat physiology. So, right. you know, if, if you have a relatively high level of threat, you get the virus or, you know, threat cytokines, you get the virus, the virus is going to then really jack up that system. And that's where it can go over a threshold where people start to crash and burn. Whereas if you were down here in your threat load, you wouldn't hit that threshold of crash and burn. You just deal with the virus and move on. But then coming out the other end, the virus is gone. So the, the cytokine load or the threat load from the virus is gone. And, and, and you know we think it's within three to 10 days, the virus is pretty much gone. There may be some viral bits and pieces we're still reacting to, but the the viability of the virus is gone. So, so you have that, uh, you know, after the infection that may linger for, you know, up to a month or so reacting to some bits and pieces, but not live virus. But then you come out the other end of the infection. And, you know, if you now, now you have to do this post-infection evaluation of where your threat load is. You may have been in the ICU, which is like being, you know, in, in solitary confinement and right. in some sense, you you may have, you know, sort of that, that uh, post-traumatic experience of being that sick and being in an ICU, but you come out the other end with, you know, sort of the new, a new um, level of, of, of threats. You may not have been able to work for a while. You may have financial stress. You may just be scared being in, you know, in a, a COVID world. Um, and so you had a elevation in your uh, threat load coming into it. It peaked high and then it comes out, but it doesn't even get back down to your previous baseline. It stays up here and you don't feel well. And we know that, and the reason, another reason, we, you know, we really like to target the, uh, the, the cytokines, the threat cytokines in, in this story, is that they cause all of the symptoms of of, uh, of a post uh, you know COVID uh, uh, syndrome? Um, the fatigue is you know when when our threat cytokines elevate, they will push us into sort of uh, in an infection in an infection kind of a fight and fever phase. But eventually, you know, we kind of get into that phase that is a very natural and prote protective response to threat where we wanna curl up in a ball, conserve resources, maybe even isolate a little bit. Um, and if those, those uh, chemicals, if the cytokines stay high, coming out of it, you know, you're up here, you're gonna have fatigue. You're probably gonna feel a little depressed. You may have some bouts of anxiety. You're probably going to want to isolate. Everything is slightly different. We're literally in a different physiology 
physiologic state at that point, our, our mitochondria are not as good at producing uh, energy. They're, they're focused more on defense and producing- uh, Can you define mitochondria for the audience really quickly? Yeah. yeah. Say again? The mitochondria, can you define what a mitochondria oh, is? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So mitochondria are these uh, little organelles inside of our cells that literally produce the energy for the body. So they produce packets of energy in ATP. And so if our mitochondria are, are uh, spending more time producing um, uh, oxidants, you know, the stuff we eat blueberries to counteract, because when you're fighting an infection or a threat, it's good to be slightly inflamed, but it's not good to be inflamed chronically. Right. Our mitochondria literally change the job they're doing. So they're producing actually less energy for us, which, you know, then it makes us feel, you know, more fatigued. Um, but there's processes that go on, you know, if we just were to run down the whole system, people also complain of, you know, not just fatigue, but cognitive fogginess in post-COVID syndrome. And that that's also easily explained by, you know, our threat response and, and, and cytokine levels as well. But our threat response tends to turn off the part of our brain that's responsible for, uh, you know, for um, uh, thinking and creativity and even turns off our, our social engagement part of our, our, our brain. And it can even turn off our, our, you know, advanced symbolic communication system, our language system. And it tends to turn off our declarative memory, um, you know, like playing Jeopardy is not as good because when you're under threat, think of a tiger attack. It, it's not time to do calculus or invent a wheel. It's not time to bond and connect. You don't need to connect with the tiger. He's going to eat you. It's not time to use human language. So the tiger is not going to respond to that. And it's really not time to play Jeopardy. So so that part of the brain is downregulated in threat over the parts of the brain that make us, you know, reactive and 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 better able to uh, survive an attack. Um, so you get that cognitive fogginess that takes some time to come back. But there's, you know, they, we could go down kind of each uh, uh, organ in the body and talk about what not only the virus can do by infecting cells attaching to these uh, receptors on our, our cells and invading the cells, and then the destruction of the immune system to those cells that we have to recover from. But we have to remember that the cytokines change a lot of other things. Not only do they cause inflammation, they cause uh, catabolism or degeneration of tissues. And so as long as we're still under a fairly high level of threat or threat load, and the threat cytokines are high, we're not going to transition into healing. And that's what post-COVID syndrome is. We have to, we literally have to move people, uh, reduce their threat load and move them into feeling safe in the world to transition us from, you know, from kind of this chronic degenerative low energy state to a state of healing and regeneration and recovery. And that's, I think that's being missed. In, in discussing post-COVID syndrome is that, um, you know, and one of our colleagues, Bob Navio, has pointed this out with mitochondria. So you, we can go down to these little tiny organelles and he's looked at them and demonstrated that it's not enough to just eliminate threat to get healing to take place. 
you have to get to a point of safety to get healing to take place. And so people can get stuck in this, uh, you know, this, this chronic um, low energy, depressed, cognitive, foggy uh, state with, you know, some changes even in, in cellular and mitochondrial function in their body until that transition occurs. And to be honest, it's really hard to make that transition today, um, you know, in the world we live in. You turn on the news and it's, a, you know, it, it's like there's a disaster at every front that can kind of people keep people stuck. So we have to take more proactive measures to get people to a sense of safety so that they can actually heal again. Well, let me wrap this section up um, quickly because I'm going to get many more details that we can't cover right now just because of time constraints. But the bottom line is people that get sick, really sick with COVID, have pre-existing risk factors that have elevated the inflammatory cytokines or proteins. So you have an elevated inflammatory metabolic state before you get sick. That's physiology, how the body functions. So you're saying, well, okay, so you're afterwards, you have the pre-existing trauma or risk factors that were already there, they haven't disappeared. Right. But they're they're, worse they're probably worse, factors. right? Yeah. Right. They're worse because now your life's been disrupted, which is a whole nother level of stress. We also know that chronic stress causes disease. But the thing is, you say, well, okay, you get sick with COVID, you don't get better. So it must be psychological. You're a wimp. Well, not true. You have direct tissue damage. You have ongoing assault on your body in fight or flight. And think about this logically. If you're in fight or flight, needing resources and fuel to survive, you can't heal. I mean, you're consuming resources, you're consuming your body's own tissues to, to survive. You can't heal until actually you move into safety. And you're right. Again, the mitochondrial level is one of the basic, almost the basic part of a cell. Every cell has this fuel pump. And you have to go to safety for the thing to actually request, to actually stimulate the body to heal. You can't just come out of threat and heal. You've yeah. actually got to get into safety. And one of the things that you just mentioned there that I think is so important is uh, you can actually look at the literature now and see, you know, reputable um, physicians and scientists uh, speculating on post-COVID-19 uh, uh, syndrome uh, being psychological in its etiology because and and uh, because some of the people who have it had an infection that was never documented as actually being uh, COVID positive. And I think that's the wrong way to look at it, but this is a reaction. This is part of our, our culture and the way we think is that um, character is separate from biology and physiology and psychology is separate from biology and physiology. And you, you, you are good friend Les Arias keeps saying, you know, uh, psychology is physiology. And I think that is, that is the point is that if you're under a, a, a tremendous amount of threat and you're in this physiologic type that I call falter to faint, not fight or flight, but falter to faint, it's designed as a protective response, but it's not, wasn't designed to go on chronically. Uh, but you are going to be uh, depressed. You're going to have low energy you know, you, you're, you're going to be relatively asocial in that state. And, and that's that. So, you know, psychology and behavior is part of the threat response. And we have to see that. Uh, and we love to jump to making things character logic. You know, these people are wimps. These people need to pull themselves up by their bootstraps, which is 
physically impossible. You know, <laughs> we have to stop doing that. We need to say, okay, I'm going to look at this person from a, a physiologic and, and biological standpoint and under, and start to understand their threat loads and, and treating the different, you know, uh, uh, chronic threats in their life. And they're going to get better. And when they get better, magically, they're not going to need their bootstraps to get up with. They're, they're going to get up and, and, and run on their own. So I think that's the, the thing. We have to not characterize any, anybody in this world today who is under a lot of threat uh, is, is going to look potentially a little bit like a post-COVID-19 syndrome patient. They may not have the organ dysfunction and the you know, the edema and the fibrosis and, you know, that type of stuff. But anybody who's under influence of chronic threat and chronic threat cytokines is going to look like a post-COVID-19 syndrome patient. And, and you know, those people are, are chronic fatigue people and people right. with fibromyalgia and people right. who have uh, myofascial pain, and, and but also people who have obesity and insulin resistance and diabetes and all, all of those things. So I, anyway, that we just have to, we have to change the paradigm on how we look at this, but really how we practice medicine. We need to look at uh, total threat load and understand it. We need to become as good as we are at making all of these different diagnoses sort of, you know, I always, I always characterize it as, you know, it, it, it's, it's a threat tree, right? And out on the periphery of the tree are all of the things that we see, the flowers and the leaves and stuff. And all of those are the little different diagnoses we make and we get obsessed with, well, if I can just find a pill to treat this, it will go away. But underneath the ground, there's this massive root of potential threat-related stuff and that we spend no time looking at that. And that's where we need to go. We need to be as good at putting threat under the microscope and dissecting it, resecting it, and eliminating it as we are, you know, working up on the, the, the branches and the leaves and the flowers of the tree. Right. So, Dear, thank you very much. We um, try to get this as simple as we can. Hopefully, we were able to simplify it somewhat. But the bottom line is all these chronic diseases are the same. Sustains exposure, fight or flight physiology, and that's the essence of all chronic diseases, including long haulers. The essence of healing is actually creating safety. So, on the next podcast, we'll record here in a second. We're going to discuss about the approach of how to solve this. So, once you understand the problem, it becomes solvable, and it may not be a simple solution, but it is solvable. If you don't understand the problem, it's not even solvable. So, Dr. Again, thank you for explain this to us and we'll talk in, a, talk in a few minutes. Thanks for having me. I'd like to thank our guest, Dr. David Clausen, for being on the show today and for sharing his insights on the concept of threat load and how it affects our vulnerability to disease and our ability to heal. I'm your host, Tom Masters, reminding you to be back next week for another episode of Back in Control Radio with Dr. David Hanscom. And in the meantime, be sure to visit the website at www.backincontrol.com. Thanks for listening today and join us next week for Back in Control Radio.